0: He's just got this rich, soulful voice. And when he sang, it was like the hair on the back of my neck stood up. And that's how I recognized Jesus in the Eucharist. And I didn't even know that Jesus was in the Eucharist before I joined the church. All I knew is whatever that was that he was holding up, I wanted it. I needed it. And how do I get it? The beauty of his voice and the prayer brought me into the church. If you work for the Catholic Church and want to avoid burnout, overcome team dysfunctions, and put more souls in the pews, we are here to help. I'm Ty Hua, here with my co-host, John Kahn's, and we're providing leadership development for Catholic ministry professionals. Every week, you can expect practical advice to help you move Jesus' mission forward in your parish. Today, we're answering the question, what if you have a small parish staff? Hey, John. Ty,
1: good to see you today. It's always a pleasure. I uh, you know, I'm kind of getting used to this recording at different times of the day. I, I like it. I feel a little more fresh. I'm not exas- exhausted from a day of working and chasing kids around. I, I feel a little more, more fresh and at it.
0: Yeah, I'm uh on break from my W two job, so it's it's really nice to actually do work during the day that is efficacious for my soul.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. let us build it up. See I t- I don't know if I've I don't know if we've told the listeners about this. We you had briefly mentioned how to win friends and influence people. Yep. Uh that book and then you lent it to me because you found out I had never read it and it's it's a book you love and you revisit almost yearly. I would I think is what you oh, said. Yeah. yeah. Yep. As I'm re- so I've been reading that and as I'm reading it uh, I'm just I'm kind of blown away by the really the simple advice that's in it. Now, it's they're they're just principles so you kind of have to figure out how they fit in the context of your life or the the way you're trying to win a friend or influence a person, you kind of have to plug those pieces in or think your way around it a little bit. But as I'm reading it, all I keep thinking is how this could be in itself a handbook for evangelization. 100%. Because it comes back to, it comes back to just really authentic friendship (laughs) in so many ways, Uh, uh, like looking at the other person authentically as a human person, seeing good in them and calling that out of them. And that's, that's evangelization. And so for all the work the church has done in the last, you know, 20 years, 15 years or so, really focusing on how do we evangelize people, I'm looking at this thinking, we had the handbook all along, <laughs> we, we, we could have used this.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think it'd be a really good episode to talk about the correlation between different ways that the apostles evangelized in the Bible mm-hmm. and, and connect it to how really the good trainers and the, the good evangelizers of today utilize those same skill sets. Yeah, one, one of the things that stands out to me is, you know, when Paul is going to um, evangelize, you know, wait, I don't know if it's Paul, if it's Peter, being a good Catholic, grad, I don't know my scripture, but he goes and he, he talks to the, the Romans uh, or these pagans. And he, the first thing he says to them is that, man, you guys got this all wrong. You're worshiping the wrong God. Or gods, you're you guys are terrible, you're going to hell. He doesn't say any of that. The first thing that he says is, I see that you are a religious people. Like what a way to to really
1: start off on the right foot. It's like, yeah, we are religious people. Yeah, he finds something honorable, something something good and applaudable, you know, laudable mm-hmm. in them and, and starts with that. So I just as as I'm reading this, I'm like, man, this is this is the only handbook you need. And it is funny, I heard Oh, I think it was Curtis Martin, you know, and he's in charge of Focus. He was talking about the the churches that reach out to him and say, hey, can you do a training for our staff on how to evangelize people? And he goes, you don't need to be trained how to evangelize. You just got to know Jesus and tell people about him, you know. And and so, like, even looking at this, like, then if you know Jesus and you want to tell people about him, this then is just some supplemental, like, little tips and tricks for how to endear yourself to them in that process. (laughs) You know, and I I just think that that's so cool. Um, So I would love... I'd love to do an episode on that. We should do that. But that's yeah. that's not what today's episode is about, though, is it? No. No, it not. isn't. Oh, but before we get into today's topic, I do have some listener feedback. Uh, my wife, again, our, our biggest fan, she shared the episode. She responded to that call to action to share an episode of the podcast with a friend of ours who works in a Catholic school. And she said, you know, my husband does this podcast. I, You know, you might find some of this interesting. You, you might like some of the stuff that he's... He's talking about he and Ty. So she shared that episode and then she kind of went down the rabbit hole, went to the website, and this is the feedback she gave. She said, "Um, Thanks for sending this. I got hooked last night and read the whole website slash blog. Really great. (laughs) I just thought, Oh, that's awesome. So quick shout out to our friend Kristen. um, and, And just a reminder that this stuff isn't just for Catholic churches, it's for Catholic ministry professionals. If you work in the Catholic church for the church in some facet, in a ministry for the Catholicism, this could be for you.
0: Yeah, I, again, shout out, Kristen. Thanks for endearing us with your um, comment.
1: (laughs) She probably read the book, didn't she?
0: (laughs) Yeah, she she probably read the book. Um, (laughs) But no, I I think it goes to what what you're saying, too, that it's more than just Catholic ministry professionals. Um, I think we mentioned it in a previous episode uh, another listener feedback Aaron had said you know this is and he's i think if anything he's agnostic uh listened to to the mm-hmm. a couple of the episodes and just really said you know that you could use this in everyday secular business a lot of the topics that we deal with obviously we're we're talking about Jesus here and, and in in the secular world you're trying to sell or do something different um but the principles still stand the tips are still uh, viable to business, secular business, just as much as the the you know parish ministry business. So that's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So let's uh, let's dive in though to the topic a little bit. We're we're talking about what if you have a small parish staff. I had a, a person who works in a church in a small rural church, and and where we're located is the Midwest, and there are a large number of rural parishes where they do have a very small staff. So when we talk about working with a team, when we talk about some of these bigger objectives, they're like, yeah, but what about us? Because we, we only have one or two people on our staff plus the pastor. You know, and there there are pa- parishes that I'm aware of that just have the pastor, and he's in charge of all of it. He doesn't really have a staff. So what do we do if that's a situation we're in? And um, the the conversation I had with this particular professional was, they were asking, "What would you focus on if that was your situation that you just you didn't have this this mega church with you know eight, nine hundred a thousand plus families? you know you've just got this small kind of rural parish with one or two people and and these this is kind of what we came to. This is what I would recommend if this was me and I was a one man team in a small rural parish. And, and it came out to me, these are the three things that I would focus on that I believe will transform your community, will have we'll be able to do big things with a smaller number of people. And so the, the three things are that I would just double down on holiness, right? You got to be a saint, like really, really just dial in your faith, your relationship with God, make sure that's just iron tight, which is good advice for anybody, even if you're not in a small parish. Number one, you got to be connected to Jesus. You got to be holy. We'll break that out a little bit. Number two, you got to share your life of prayer and your and like the discernment of charisms, like what, how does God use you? And then number three, you got to let them experience the need that the parish has, that the community has. And then you need to call out those who are called to fill to fix those needs, to fill those needs. So yeah, let's let's break this down a little bit. If you were going to double down on holiness and why this is so important, why this is so important that we really, really dig in and and discern very carefully, like work out our salvation with fear and trembling, make sure that we are abiding in Jesus so we don't get pruned. And why this is so important, why this is so effective is because this is the number one thing that we are all called to do is to be holy. We are all called into holiness. And I want to give the example of a blessed Solanus Casey. Uh, he's going to sound a lot like a saint we talked about in the past. Um, Brother Andre Bassetti, uh, Saint Andre Bassetti. And he's just a man of simple faith. But blessed Solanus Casey was born in Wisconsin, right? Right in the Midwest here. Uh, in 1870. He lived a long life. He died in 1957. So I think 87 years old he was. But like I said, a man of simple faith. Uh, one of one of his things that he really believed and he told people is like every prayer is answered in God's own way. So just a really profound faith that even if it doesn't look the way I wanted. God has answered. And, and just he spoke in a quiet, soft voice. And I really want to pull this out because the effect he had was very profound. He became a porter at St. Bonaventure Monastery in Detroit, became known as the doorkeeper, right? He, he was the doorkeeper, just like St. Andre Bassetti. He was the doorkeeper in Detroit. Like everybody became, came to know this man and who he was. And again, before Twitter. Right before he he didn't have an Instagram following, he wasn't sending that out people just his profound simple faith and holiness he be he was ordained a priest simplex, which means he was not allowed to formally preach on the the things of the faith and he couldn't hear confessions. And the reason for this is because he he just he wasn't good on the books. His theology wasn't wasn't a high enough standard for them to fully ordain him into the full um, services of the priesthood. But just because he couldn't preach formally at Mass didn't mean he didn't preach to people. So as the doorkeeper, when people came to him, he'd give them these little what they called fervorinos, these short little uh, teachings on life, on faith, these, these fort little, short little um, energizers, spiritual energizers, these fervorinos. And this, this humbling experience of desiring to be a priest, beginning begin, being ordained a priest simplex, And then just being assigned the door and just the person who had to meet the people was a really humble experience for him. And it paved the road for great holiness for him to be just truly, deeply rooted in his faith and in his life. And so he always urged people, just be grateful to God for all things, even sufferings. On one occasion, you know, he he was telling people when Jesus sends crosses and trials into our life, he's inviting us to help him save the world. Just the profoundness of that. Because people would come to him and some people got healed. Other times he would would basically tell people, you're not going to be healed of this. And so for them to hear, but in this cross, Jesus is inviting you to help him save the world. Just the profound impact. It led to a point where at, at one point, an average of between 100 and 150 people would come to see him every single day. Right, Being a saint, being holy, makes an ordinary life extraordinary. And that life... Brings people to Jesus. So, again, if you're in a smaller parish, you don't have a big staff, be a saint. Be a saint in that community and it will transform lives. God will use you in profound ways. He's done it again and again and again in the past. And if you get nothing else out of this, fight for your sanctity, fight for holiness. Just strive after the kingdom with all of your might and you will find a whole wake of souls following you in that direction amen amen the uh the second one then is after really striving after holiness right is is then to share your life of prayer and a discernment of charisms with the people in your parish and this can look a million different ways but if i was just starting out and i wanted to do something simple like people people want to know how to pray right and and if I really wanted to affect great change, I would just simply invite them into the prayer I'm already doing. So as a priest, as a pastor, you have to do your Liturgy of the Hours. So you might just set up a time where you're going to be, you just tell them, I'm going to be in the church at these times on these days, and I want to invite you to come and pray with me. And you can invite them to pray the, Lit- the Liturgy of the Hours with you. You can invite them if you're going to be doing lexio to do Lectio along with them, to actually pray with the scriptures, like you're going to do this anyway. So this isn't adding time to your day. It's just pick, choosing to do it in a specific time and place so that you can share it with other people. And and while you're doing that, then you don't want to do that in a vacuum, like, hey, just show up and start reading along. No, you can then use that and do a little three to five minute Fervorino or Catechetical lesson that'll help them to understand what you're doing and how they can do it well what they should expect maybe you can do some question answer afterwards or even just sharing of graces and what what God is saying to you in the moment and to receive that from them as well and when you do this it, it's that that ancient uh, that old chinese proverb if you give a man a fish he'll eat for a day you teach him how to fish and he'll he'll fit, you know, eat for the rest of his life or whatever this is the same thing if you can in, if you can teach your parishioners how to encounter Jesus how to meet him in the scriptures you're teaching them how to feed themselves, and it will, it'll transform their entire experience of the church. It'll bring all of that scripture, the things that they experience in the mass, it'll bring that to life in a new way for them. The other part of this that I would recommend, then, is a discernment of charisms along with those, those same people, or even just maybe it could be another group. But what this does is that people need to know that God is specifically calling them to do something. Right? There is something specific they are called to. It's not just this general call for your life. No, your, your life with your own specific gifts, talents, your unique personality, you are called to some definite ministry in the church and in the world. And people need to know this. They don't necessarily know this right off the bat, but you don't have to do a whole kickoff with the whole parish. You can invite a small group of people and let it grow from there. On the other hand, you might do a big kickoff, and you might... Pick a specific charism you really want to focus on, intercessory prayer. You say, hey, we're going to start an intercessory prayer group. And you might get 20, 30 people, you know, all all the, you know, Ethel's going to come out and she's going to want to go to this. And she's going to start praying alongside of you. And as you do this, you're going to teach them what these, these uh, charisms are and help them to discern whether they have them or not. And this is super important because then you can have real conversations with people about hey, this is, this is a charism you have. We have a need for this. Can you step into it? You can have really practical conversations with people to say, hey, I don't think this, this ministry is a good fit for you. Would you consider this? Because, I, you know, you can, exactly what we were talking about before, say, hey, I see that you have the gift of hospitality. You have that charism. God uses you when you are in that role of, of being hospitable to others. Would you consider being an usher? A doorkeeper. Would you be a doorkeeper? Would you be a welcomer? <laughs> Would you welcome people? Because they're going to experience Jesus when they meet you at the door. What a way to honor someone while you're trying to transition them into a role that they should be and maybe out of one where they're, where they're not as helpful as they'd like to be, right? So, so intentionally discerning with a group of people and starting small, but then once you plug them in, like, like train them up and then send them out. You don't need to continue with that one group forever. Then you bring in the next group and watch how that, how that transforms things. And so what we're doing is we just want to awaken in people. It's an awareness that God is real. He is speaking into their lives, that there is something special and unique that God gave them specifically, and that there is a design. There's there's a thing that he has in mind for how they are going to help people encounter his love, and that transforms them. And suddenly, you know, like the faith of a child, their eyes are open and they go, oh, God loves me. God is here. God wants me. He has a plan for my life and he wants to share that with me. And and this is the same desire, by the way, that's in the hearts of of all the people who are, are looking for their identity in all the wrong places. This discernment is the answer to those social issues that we face, that we don't know how to solve. All of them can be solved with Jesus and finding our identity in him, recognizing what he's truly given us, where he's calling us, we will be filled. Our identities will be fulfilled in that. We, we will experience that fulfillment. And this is the answer to that. So that's the second part. Um, so we've gone from here. We, we, we're being holy ourselves. We're really striving after it. We're sharing a life of prayer and discernment with others. Again, two things that just can plug into the normal rhythm of our life and our day and then the third one, this one's a little more practical. You have to let people experience the need that the church has for them. And then you need to call out those that are called to fill that need. So I, and I'm going to pick on music ministry here because this is something I hear about a lot. Mm. So, Ty. Get, oh, man, here we go. <laughs> Ty, how, how has the music been in pretty much every parish that you've ever been a member of?
0: On a scale of one to 10, we're hovering around the two to three. Yeah. Yeah. It, like, it's not good. It's not good. And, and here's I, what I mean by that. Let me preface that. Let me preface that. I'm not calling. I thank you for your ministry. Thank you for your hard work in doing all of that. But I think anything that's a part of the mass should get me closer to God.
1: Ooh. <laughs> a lot
0: of times. It's distracting me from God.
1: <laughs> if, you're, if, if their notes make your face look like you bit into a lemon, it's probably distracting you from God. <laughs> but, that, I mean, that's my point. I would say, at best, um, the music in most of the parishes I belong to has been just fine. It's been fine. And a lot of people will look at that and they'll say, well, it's better than nothing. It's not, you know what, I'm there for Jesus, it's fine, I get it, but but the reality is that this is way, it's way more tragic than people realize, because I want us to think about all of our friends that have left the Catholic Church, and they're going to the non-denom across town. Why did they choose that church? And there's two main reasons for it. The first one's the preaching, they like the preaching, and the second one is the music. They love the music. Those are the two main reasons someone chooses a church. And so if we, like, yes, it's fine that it's just fine, but it's actually awful because that is something that may make or break a person, like someone coming into the church. It might break make or break their experience. And so we, like, it's important that we really do that. And honestly, it's something that people talk all the time, and I get that at question a lot. Hey, how do we fix our music ministry? And I've got the solution, But no one is willing to do it because this part is harder. It's practical. It makes a lot of sense, but it's harder. And the answer is that you need better musicians. (laughs) So what you have to do is that you have to help people discern whether or not they have the gift of music. And if they don't, then they probably shouldn't be leading the music. That doesn't mean they shouldn't be in the congregation singing their hearts out But it means that you do have to have some really difficult, really crucial conversations. And so if you've been discerning with a group of people and already like this has been opened up, this conversation, you can speak more directly into that and you have something else to reference or, you know, guide them towards. But if you're going to do this, and this is the part where what I'm saying is you got to let them experience the need. If you're going to do this, then you may find yourself in a position then where you have mass without music for a few weeks. Or just you know, there's a regular mass that just doesn't have any music, and that that then creates the opportunity for people to experience the need that the church has for them, and so that's your opportunity to say, hey, we're in need of some cantors, we're in need of some musicians, and you just call out those who are called. If you have the gift of music, we, we need you to step into this role, into this ministry. This this is what our pastor did for us at our new church. He uh, he saw me playing music at a at a parish event, and he said, hey are you a cantor? And I was like, uh, no, <laughs> he said, you should be. And I thought, you're right. I can't argue with that. I really should be, you know, but the other thing I would say is if you're in this position where now they're, they're starting to kind of grumble, they're like, well, we really want music. Some would be better than none. That's where you go. It's not though. Cause I hear you complain about it it's not it's not better than none <laughs> because we need you to step into this and god if god is giving you this call like you need to respond to it and the other thing i would say is tell them give them permission to say hey if your friends are good singers you need to tell them that you want them to sing at mass because it it, it brings that conversation like down to their area it gets the conversation percolating at their level where now parishioners are saying hey I need you to sing because I want music back at Mass. But that's a hard road to, do, to go, and you got to kind of have, you know, some steel in your stomach to be able to handle those conversations. And you at least need to know where you're going and why, so that when people say, why don't we have music? It was better before, you know, they were awful, but at least we had music. You can say, yeah, but it wasn't, you know, and, and this is where we're going, and this is why. So we can look at these three things, we can put them together. Again, they were uh, doubling down on holiness— sharing your life of prayer and, and a discernment of charisms with them, and then letting them experience the need and calling out the call. If you put these three things together, it's just you living your faith radically. It's people praying and discerning together and then using that to identify needs in the community and how we can respond to those needs. And that, that's not a program. That's not something you have to buy. It's not something that takes a big budget. It's not even something that takes a bunch of people. It's just a way of life and it's sustainable, and it won't burn you out because it will be so deeply rooted in God that he will sustain it. He will give it new life. He will do a new thing. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) We made it fit, didn't we? (laughs) So with that, let's uh, let's move on to the devil's advocate.
0: All right, John. Sounds great as they all do. Every episode sounds great. But here's the big but. There's just two of us. We're running everything. We're doing everything. We don't have any time. We don't, we just, we can't fit everything in along with
1: everything else that we're doing. What say you? I'd say that this happens a lot because when we work in a parish, when we work in a church, when we work in ministry, we serve a lot of people. And they all have things that they want to see happen. You've got religious ed, you've got children's liturgy of the word, you've got the music ministry, and then you want a guitar choir and a children's choir, and you want to have just a a youth mass, and you want to, I mean, and it just goes on and on and on of all the things that people would love to see what happens, or would love to see happen. And so I want to reverence that. I recognize that as a real issue. That That is a real thing that we face. But to recognize what we're saying, what we're saying when we say that is we don't have time to pray and discern with our community. And I just hope that first of all, I hope we can understand that that is in itself a problem. And so if, if that is a problem, then we need to create room for this. The simplest way to make room for th- something like this, to do something new, is to delegate. So somebody comes to you and, and they want something started, Children's Liturgy of the Word, whatever it might be. Okay, I'd love to talk with with you about this. When are you free to come in and speak? Like, when are you free to run this Children's Liturgy of the Word? Because we need people to run this. You know, and and then you can set those things up. And, and if nobody shows up, then it doesn't happen. And just being comfortable saying, hey, nobody showed up, so this isn't going to happen, that allows... It allows them to experience the church's need for them. Like, it's great that you want this. The church needs you to do it then. This might be something that you are called to. And and I've done this with religious ed multiple times um, for different classes. We, I, I don't chase after catechists, right? I say, hey, we need catechists. And a handful of people come forward because they genuinely desire to do the ministry. But other than that, I've always told parents, if you sign your kids up for this class, My default, because this is the church's teaching, is that you are the teacher of the faith for your children. So if you want your kids in this ministry, you need to be a part of this ministry. And if we don't have a teacher, guess what? That has to be you, or this can't happen. So letting them experience the need. And I've I've had it where nobody volunteered. It's like, hey, nobody nobody signed up to lead. Class is canceled this week. You know, the onus has always been on parishioners to make things happen. In in Acts, right, right at the beginning of the church, Jesus is risen, he's up in heaven, he sends the spirit, and the church is now like it's flooded with the spirit and they're going. Well, what happens? People begin to sell their belongings and give it to the church. The apostles didn't have two pennies to rub together. The laity had to bring that. And when when the ministry was too big then for the twelve apostles. Well, they had to ordain deacons to help with the ministry. Again, the laity had to step up and be a part of the ministry in a new way. So when when we approach this issue, we have to stop bending over backwards to do more things. We have to stop bending over so we can create space for people to generously enter into the life of the church. And when we do that, they encounter God working through them. And that, again, that sustains the life of the church. So that, that would be my response.
0: I uh, was thinking about a time I joined a parish and this older gentleman stopped by my house to welcome me, which I thought was awesome. And he was going through all of these different ministries that our parish had. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. And it was like f- five or six different ministries that I looked at. I, I, I could help out with that. I That interests me. And guess how many different ministry leaders there were of those four or five? One. It was one person doing all of these different things. And I'm I'm thinking in my head, like, if this person is spread out this thin, the ministry probably isn't very fruitful.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. So being part of that, you know, and seeing it, I'm like, I need help. I need to help this person. So I actually became a, a catechist because that's, you know, this, I, I love teaching, talking about the faith and and the, the sweet tradition that we have. Mm-hmm. So I helped out for for that time period. But when I stopped being a catechist, my worry was, well, who's going to take my spot? So delegating was not a strength of this Catholic ministry professional.
1: And often it's not and there's real reasons for that. You know, that there's real reasons for it because you want to safeguard the truth of the faith. And you want yep. to make sure that you're bringing people in place. I get it. But again, if you're living a life of prayer and discerning with this group of people, it becomes a lot easier to say, yeah, I get it. You're there. You're you're dialed in. You understand the things.
0: Yeah. So what what can a Catholic ministry professional that is limited on time And help. What do they do? What's what's it? What's a really
1: good actionable step? A really good actionable step. Pick one thing to delegate, and then have the conversation with the people that are going to need to be a part of handing that off. and And that delegation, it could be if you're the pastor, it could be someone on your staff, and you might need to talk with them about how this is going to look. It could also be to a volunteer. So maybe you just need to set up a coffee with a volunteer, be like, hey. I got to free up some space. You have this gift. You show up every week anyway. I, I would love to empower you to lead. And I'll give you all the support you need, but, but to let you do it. And, and just to pick one thing again, delegate it. Have those conversations. Start walking that direction. Because even if that one person isn't the right fit, it starts the conversation. And, and having those conversations opens up doors and people begin to hear them. And, and people start to come out of the woodworks. And God kind of, he looks out for you. Yeah, I love that idea of just picking one thing. One
0: thing. Because what, what happens is when you pick too many things, you actually don't get any one of them done. So there's, I like theories and I like laws and I like methods. Here's one that I'm going to throw at you. It's called the the law of diminishing return. And simply stated, the more you try to do, the less you get done. So they did a study um It's in economics where if you pick one to two things to do and execute on, you're going to get one to two things done. When you decide to pick three to eight or nine things to do, you'll actually only get one of them done. And then if you choose to do 10 or more things, you get none of them done. Mm -hmm. So it's better to get a return on what you do by selecting one or two things so that you actually get them done. Now, this could be delegating. This could be something that you're taking on yourself to execute on. Like, here are the two things I'm going to get done today or this week. But here are the one to two things that I need to, and it could be one of the two things that you're, you're doing, right? That I'm going to delegate out to somebody to get done this week. But we can't just sit here and say, man, we, we've got so much to do. I'm going to do them all. No, you're not. The law of diminishing return says you're not going to get anything done. <laughs> Proven. literally yeah. Proven. <laughs> yeah. So what I would say is whether this is in business or in parish ministry, we have to be very, very um, choosy on what we do. Now, I don't even know if choosy is a word, but we, we have to be choosy on what we do. If you aren't choosy in what you do, the things that you're supposed to do or the things that you don't even need to pay attention to, will run your day. It's called the whirlwind. You ever, John, have you ever worked an entire day to where at the end of the day you say, man, I did so much, but I didn't get anything done?
1: Every day of my life.
0: Yeah, so a lot of people, whether in parish ministry or in the secular world, we get sucked up into the whirlwind because we don't have those singular things that we're focusing on. So if you're trying to get... Somebody as a, a ministry leader in a specific ministry, that's what we need to focus on. That's what we need to be talking about. That's what we need to be recruiting on. Like the, the father that said, hey, are you a, a cantor? Mm-hmm. So he probably wasn't looking for a cantor, but the minute he heard you sing and play, he's probably thinking, I need more of that. Now, um, we may be going a little bit too long. But here's what I will say. The first time I ever stepped foot in a church when I was looking for a church. Um, and it wasn't even a cantor. We didn't have a cantor. It was a daily mass. And I heard the priest sing the peripsum. Um, that's the through him, with him, and in him. Like Father Jim Callahan in Worthington, Minnesota. Diocese of Winona. Shout out. Um, he's just got this rich soulful voice and when he sang it was like the hair on the back of my neck stood up and that's how I recognized Jesus in the Eucharist and I didn't even know that Jesus was in the Eucharist before I joined the church all I knew is whatever that was that he was holding up I wanted it I needed it and how do I get it so music right the beauty of his voice
1: and the prayer brought me into the church. But, but that is why it's so important us for for us to genuinely help people pray, discern their charisms and find a place for that charism in our churches. Because that's exactly what it does is somebody comes into the church and they need Jesus and when we operate in our charisms, Jesus is so effective. We we just open up doors to people's souls and and God is able then to enter in and and have an effect. And so it's really important. So I really encourage you, really, find something to delegate. But if you have a small parish staff, really take some time. Take time to share your prayer life. Take time to discern with people and then call them into ministry. Amen, amen? Hallelujah. (laughs) All right. Thanks for listening to the Catholic Ministry Professionals podcast. If you found today's show helpful, please immediately text it to your pastor, a friend in Catholic ministry, so that others can find out about the show and begin transforming their parish through their work. And as always, we love your feedback. Either submit an honest review on your podcast app or email us at catholicminpros at gmail.com. And you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or at catholicministryprofessionals.com. And with that, we'll see you in the vineyard.